Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast. My name is Alan Stair. And I'm Donna Stair. This is the fourth and final season of our week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. Join us for this final season as we're getting into the music, the trivia, and the fun of WKRP. So, fellow babies, stay tuned and stay cool. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Welcome back to the WKRP cast, our 79th episode. Wow. And this time around, we're going to be revealing some long hidden secrets. What is our episode, Donna? We're ready to talk about You Can't Go Out of Town Again. The air date was January 6th, 1982, written by Dan Gunselman, story editor Lisa Levin, executive story consultants Steve Marshall and Dan Gunselman, directed by Howard Hessman. Arthur and Carmen attend his college reunion. He finds out their first date was because someone dared her to go out with him. Bailey wants to get a computer for billing, and Venus tries to impress a new date. If you're checking air dates on IMDb, this date has now been updated. Until recently, this is another episode that aired out of order and on a different date than what was on the official list. Michael Hernandez, the accountant of rock who identified these changes in air dates, has submitted his research to IMDb, and they are updating the air dates. Michael's been scanning local TV listings to get the real story. This is one of those out-of-order shows. According to Michael's research, this episode, You Can't Go Out of Town Again, aired on January 6th of 1982. Originally, this one was shown as airing next week on January 13th. What really airs next week on the 13th is Jennifer and Johnny's Charity, which puts it way out of order from the official Shout Factory list. Hernandez' research is so solid, IMDb is making these changes based on his information. The next week, on January 20th, we are somewhat back on track with pills. This week marks the last time we find WKRP at 8.30 on Wednesday. Starting next week with Jennifer and Johnny's charity, WKRP moves to 8 p.m., leading off primetime for Wednesday on CBS. Interesting to note, this week's episode, the last one to air at 8.30 after Mr. Merlin, will rank as the 47th most watched episode of the week. Next week, when Jennifer and Johnny's charity leads off the night at 8, it will also be ranked as the 47th most watched show of the week. Which means Mr. Merlin was doing nothing for them. After cutesy titles like Three Days of the Condo and Love, Exciting and New, we figured You Can't Go Out of Town Again might have some movie or TV tie. Turns out the pedigree on this one is quite a bit more highbrow. This is a twist on the title of the 1940 novel You Can't Go Home Again by famed early 20th century American novelist Thomas Wolfe. It was autobiographical fiction published two years after his untimely death at the age of 37. Oh, and did you catch our director? The good Dr. Johnny Fever is behind the camera and telling everyone what to do. More about that in a bit. Right now... 
Let's get into the episode. We open in the studio where we get to see Mr. Smooth Flytrap in action. Venus is entertaining a very pretty young lady. The lights are low. We hear Hold Out by Midnight Star playing over the air. Venus is sitting in the chair behind the mic. His lady friend is sitting beside him on the stool. Venus is holding the young lady's hand as he tries to impress her. I was number one in New Orleans for 14 straight rating periods. The king. Venus smiles up at her. We can hear her giggle. Venus bends down, reaching under the turntables. He comes up with a bottle of wine and two wine glasses. A bit of wine? Sure. The lady walks over to the other side of Venus. She's looking at the control board as Venus pours the wine. The board sure is older than the one at college. Venus hands his friend a glass of wine as he tells her Cincinnati called with a better offer. Now let's take a look at Venus's vibin' threads. Venus is wearing a patterned shirt under a lilac-colored long-sleeved shirt with epaulets on the shoulders. The pattern shirt has a background of sky blue with what looks to be white clouds. It's like an island theme. The collar of the pattern shirt is out over the collar of the lilac shirt. He's wearing dark purple pants, a gold chain bracelet, and a gold chain necklace. Venus is playing Holdout by Midnight Star. Do you remember seeing the banner for the Midnight Star album standing together? It was in the studio hallway during the episode, The Consultant. Okay, we don't blame you if you've forgotten, but it was there, and this is one of the songs from that album. It's called Hold Out. This one was never released as a single. The album will go to number 54 on the Billboard R&B chart. It does not show up on the Billboard Top 200 album chart. Probably the most impressive thing about this album is the fact it was featured on WKRP. Excuse me. Venus starts the turntable with the base of his wine glass. Then he turns the volume down on the current song. As it fades, he brings up the next song, Carly's Song by David Sanborn. His lady friend is very impressed since he's doing this transition with a wine glass in one hand. Watching Venus work appears to be a bit of a turn on. <laughs> nice segue. Yeah. Venus invites his lady friend to sit in his chair as he gets up and rolls it out for her. She sits smiling and looking around. Venus reaches under the control board. He pulls out a small cooler. Some cheese. His friend says no thanks. He opens a small Tupperware container. Crab pucks? <laughs> sure. That's how I got the name Venus. Venus is sitting on the control board counter, leaning on the cooler, looking down at his friend. I think he has more food in that studio than we have in our kitchen. The cheese line got such a hilarious reaction. I don't remember in broadcast school ever having anyone instruct as to how to turn volume up or down with a wine glass in your hand. Maybe that was in the advanced classes <laughs> you didn't take. I didn't take a summer seminar or something. The song Venus is now playing, Carly's song, comes from David Sanborn's 1980 album, Hideaway. 
Hideaway was the fifth studio album for the American jazz fusion sax player. There were no hits and no top 200 chart action, but this album did peak at number two on the U.S. jazz chart. This cut is also proof Andy was lying to Norris about Venus's playlist when they discussed Venus's show in the episode The Consultant. I thought he was uh, soft jazz, a lot of chatter. No, it's all rock, uh, very little talk. Well, we got some talk, uh, probably more than a lot of stations. Uh. Venus is Cooler is distinctive. They've covered the logo over with tape, but it's pretty obviously an Igloo Playmate. Igloo has been in the cold container business since 1947. Igloo makes more than 500 different styles of coolers and containers, but none is more iconic or immediately recognizable than the Playmate. The Playmate's distinctive flip lid with the button release design was introduced in 1971. The Playmate Cooler celebrated 50 years in 2021, and it's still going strong. Igloos are still made in the U.S., even though Igloo itself is no longer an American company. Manufacturing is currently housed in 1.4 million square feet of space in unincorporated Waller County, Texas, just outside of Katy. Igloo was purchased by Swedish manufacturer Dometic Group in September of 2021. <laughs> How iconic is Igloo? Well, Igloo claims three out of every four U.S. households owns at least one Igloo cooler. The woman is looking at the control board, not really hearing Venus. It's a transmitter feed, microwave, or telco line. Venus stands up and walks over to the stool where his friend was sitting. He sits so he's right behind her, slightly above. The board comment, the radio lingo, could this be a college broadcasting student that Mr. Flytrap is mentoring? Mm, I believe that's what's happening, yes. Radio, radio, enough about radio. I want to know more about you. Venus turns her chair around so she's facing him. More wine? Should we be checking IDs? This young lady might not be drinking age yet. As Venus is refilling her glass, the studio door opens. Mr. Carlson, as always, reaches in and flips on the lights. Venus jumps up, hiding the wine glass as he backs up to the cooler. Mr. Carlson, general manager of the station. <laughs> His friend stands and moves beside Venus. Venus introduces her to Mr. Carlson. This is Jackie Winston, my personal accountant. <laughs> Carlson smiles at them. Oh, well, I surely did want to you know, interrupt a business meeting. Jackie's putting her purse over her shoulder as she looks at Art. And as a matter of fact, we were just wrapping it up. <laughs> yeah, Venus gets a panicked look on his face. Oh, no. We have to go over our option plan, you know. Oh, well... How about tomorrow night? <laughs> Jackie is up pretty close to Venus, tracing her finger down his face as she says this. Venus grabs her hand and shakes it up and down. Good. That'll be nice. <laughs> Jackie turns, says goodbye to Mr. Carlson, and leaves the studio. Jackie Winston is being played by Renee Jones. This is early in Renee's career. She was discovered at age 19 while working as a secretary. She was signed by the prestigious Ford Modeling Agency. Modeling led naturally into acting. 
Renee was born in Opelika, Florida in 1958, so she's 23 here. The college student story fits. Renee made the rounds of both hours and half hours in the early 80s. She showed up on The Jeffersons, Ten Speed and Brown Shoe, The White Shadow, Quincy M.E., and Different Strokes, just to name a few. Renee has 41 total credits on her IMDb profile, but one of those is a whopper. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Renee's career was defined by days of our lives. This is McDonald Carey, and these are the days of our lives. In 1982 and 83, Renee played the character Nikki Wade on 62 episodes of daytime soap Days of Our Lives. Ten years later, in 1993, Renee was hired back on Days as the character Lexi Carver. Over the next 20 years, Renee would portray Lexi Carver on more than 1,700 episodes of Days of Our Lives. In 2012, Renee retired from Days and from acting. Days of Our Lives continues, started in 1965. As of this recording, Days is still on the air after more than 14,400 episodes. When Art turned on the lights, we were able to get a good look at a new poster on the top of the studio door. It's the only new thing in the studio this week, and it probably belongs to Venus. This is a poster for Lena Horne, The Lady and Her Music. This is not an album poster. It's a Broadway show poster. The musical opened May 12th of 1981. It ran for 333 performances, closing on June 30th of 1982, Lena Horne's 65th birthday. This is the second time we've had a special Lena Horne poster in the studio during Venus's show. There's a reason for that. Tim Reed has a special connection to Lena Horne. It's mentioned in the book Tim and Tom, plus he talks about it in his Television Academy interview. Tim Reed met and became very close friends with Lena Horne in the early 1970s. Tim Reed actually owns the production rights to Lena Horne's life. She gave them to him. He said he never got the story up on the screen, but he does still have the rights. Lena Horne passed away in 2010. Once Jackie is gone, Mr. Carlson looks at Venus. Now, you see, I could just never get that excited about investments. <laughs> Venus asks Mr. Carlson if he's working late. Oh, well, no, I'm just kind of knocking around. Mr. Carlson sits on the stool. What is it you young people say? Uh, hanging up? Out. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. Mr. Carlson stands up and heads for the studio door to leave. No, no, no. Hanging out is the turn. Hanging out. Mr. Carlson walks back towards Venus. That's when he sees the crab puffs. Ooh. Those crab puffs? Yeah, help yourself. Art picks up a crab puff and pops it in his mouth. You know, this weekend is my uh, college reunion. Venus's mind is working now. So you won't be here tomorrow night. Art continues. He tells Venus, Carmen's excited. She's out getting her hair done. Huh. <laughs> I don't know, though. I, I was never a big man on campus. You know? Oh, you'll have a great time. Think so? Oh, yeah. You were a frat man, right? Carlson stands up and puts his hands in his pockets. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. 
Well, it wasn't, you know, an official fraternity. Mother sort of rented this house for a bunch of us that couldn't get it. <clears throat> <laughs> Art realizes maybe he's said too much. He goes ahead and just finishes. Yes, the, uh, the Omegas. The name of Art's College Society seems to be more of a Hugh Wilson's Go Smart or Go Home approach to script writing. You've got to keep up, fellow babies. Omega would be the perfect slam for a house full of guys who couldn't get into a fraternity anywhere else. Not only does it mean they'll put the big empty initial O looking like a big zero on their shirts, Omega is also the 24th and last letter of the Greek alphabet. Art slips into reliving his college days and meeting his wife. Boy, Carmen, she, she chased me all over that campus. Art begins to pace around the studio. I'll never forget our first date. She invited me to this sorority dance. We never showed up. We did something else. <laughs> Carlson is behind Venus, leaning down, smiling. Venus gives Art a little smile. No. Yeah. <laughs> the door opens and Carmen walks into the studio. Hey, doing a nice job, Venus. Uh, hi, honey. I was just telling Venus he's doing a nice job. Oh, Art was caught. He pads Venus on the back and walks over to Carmen. And Carmen is being played by Alan Ann McCleary. Welcome back to Alan Ann McCleary as Mrs. Big Guy, Carmen Carlson. This is Alan's fourth and final appearance on this WKRP series. She does reprise the role of Carmen once more in 1992 on a single episode of the new WKRP in Cincinnati. Alan is a talented actress, dancer, and singer with a long history on Broadway and in Hollywood. We first met her in the second season episode, Patter of Little Feet. For a full look at Alan's performance bio, make sure to check that episode of the podcast. Alan passed away in 2018 at the age of 91. Carmen says hi to Venus. He stands saying hello. Venus compliments Mrs. Carlson on how good her hair looks. Oh, I'm sorry, honey. I should have mentioned that. <laughs> Mrs. Carlson tells him that's okay. They say goodnight to Venus and head out. Carlson turns before closing the door. Oh, Venus. I wouldn't want that story to get around. Don't worry. I won't tell a soul. Art stands for a moment, looking a little disappointed. Oh. Carlson leaves, and as Art and Carmen leave, we head into our theme. WKRP in Cincinnati. We come back from break in the lobby. Jennifer is sitting at her desk reading a magazine. Johnny comes into the lobby carrying Venus's crab puff Tupperware container. <laughs> Jennifer, what do you make of these things? Jennifer <laughs> glances at what he's holding. Appetizers, crab, I think. So they're okay to eat? I don't know. Jennifer's making kind of a yucky face, scrunching up her nose. Oh, good. <laughs> Found food is never a great idea. Johnny drops the container and lid on Jennifer's desk. He leaves the lobby, possibly to go lie down or maybe to direct the episode. We get very little of the doctor in this episode because he's busy behind the camera. This is Howard Hessman's first ever directing gig and one of only three things he will direct in his entire career. Although Hessman has more than 150 performer credits, he was never drawn in to directing. In America's favorite radio station, Michael Castle quotes Hessman about this experience, saying, I think it's always weird when you step out of a company in which you work as an actor and then direct your fellow actors. This season will also see Gordon Jump's first attempt at directing when he helms the somewhat complex episode, 
the creation of Venus. Jump said by the time a series is as established as WKRP was, all a director is really doing is playing traffic cop. The director tells the performers where to walk. He said they can usually take it from there when it comes to character and performance. Hessman's only other directing credits will come 11 years later when he directs two episodes of the new WKRP in Cincinnati in 1993. Bailey enters the lobby, followed closely by Les. Les looks bad, his nose is red, and he's going on about Asian flu. With all this talk about Asian flu, I started wondering why we don't have an American flu. Who's behind this? You can hear Les has a terrible cold by the way he's talking. Les is looking closely at Bailey, waiting for a response. Interesting. Jennifer is... Oh, there's more, much more. (laughs) Les continues. My early bird commentary will examine illness as a... Andy enters the lobby. He says good morning to everyone and without stopping continues on a cross. He's wearing a rather stylish cowboy hat and heading quickly to his office. Bailey nabs him before he can get through the lobby. Andy, do I get a computer for billing or not? Andy, I'd like to share my thoughts on sickness with you. But wait a minute, you guys. I haven't even taken my hat off yet. Andy removes his hat. Bailey is persistent. Everybody has computers, Andy. They're, They're more common than the common cold. Les, standing behind Bailey, snuffles and sniffs. And it's a little gross. (laughs) The personal computer, or PC, as it was branded by IBM, was becoming a huge topic of conversation among both businesses and personal users in the early 1980s. IBM made its personal computer to help a person be more productive, to help a person be more creative. And those are good reasons for a person to feel good. The IBM personal computer... Now it's selected stores across the country. Desktop computing was coming into its own. Hobbyist computing of the 70s was like a cult. They worked on strange-looking black boxes controlled by snippets of machine code written by hardcore geeks in their basements. It was fun for some to control these weird boxes with code. They were technically computers, but beyond being able to flash lights in a certain sequence... These contraptions really didn't do anything. When Apple and IBM added monitors, keyboards, and disk storage, suddenly the desktop computer became useful. People who didn't understand machine code could understand the PC. Basic software titles were introduced to do things like word processing or spreadsheet-based accounting. A kid named Bill Gates and his MS-DOS gave life to the PC. The world of personal computing exploded. Eleven months after this airing, Time magazine will stun the world when they select the PC as its Man of the Year for 1982. It was the first time a non-human was selected since the creation of the award in 1927. Steve Jobs of Apple Computer fame was said to have been crushed. He admitted to crying after seeing the cover. They had even profiled him to get his comments for the issue. Steve mistakenly believed he was giving his Man of the Year interview. Jobs would eventually be named Person of the Year in 2010. We needed to handle invoices. Now, you have been putting me off for days. I want an answer. Okay. No. Well, that's more like it then. What? Andy tells Bailey he's kidding. He says he'll talk to Carlson when he gets in. Bailey seems to accept this answer. She heads to the bullpen. 
Les gets in really close to Andy, looking him right in the face. My commentary this morning will tackle germs. Herb, Herb and Mr. Carlson enter the lobby. Herb is assuring Art he'll take care of things while Carlson's gone. Art tells Herb the reunion's over the weekend. Surely. Herb leaves the lobby. Jennifer tells Mr. Carlson good morning. That's when the craziness begins. Andy and Les want to talk to Mr. Carlson. Carlson wants to speak with Jennifer. Then Les wants to talk with Andy, and Mr. Carlson doesn't want to talk with anyone. <laughs> he has his reunion on his mind. Good morning. Uh, Herb, later. Uh, Mr. Carlson, I... We'll talk uh, to Andy. Andy. Mr. Carlson, Bailey needs... Andy, uh, one minute, will you please? Uh, Jennifer, do you know where I can get this thing clean in about an hour? Of course, I'll take care of that. Andy. Mr. Carlson. Thank you. Andy. Mr. Carlson, I need a word with you, sir. Jeez, oh, Andy, look, I'm going to leave in a couple of hours. i got to make hotel reservations. Now, can't this thing wait? It'll just take a few minutes. Same here. All right, check with me later. Good morning, Les. Mr. Carlson goes into his office and shuts the door. Andy? That was rude. Andy! What? What is it, Les? <laughs> oh, never mind. Jennifer picks up her phone and she's dialing. Jennifer. Just a minute. <laughs> Andy, frustrated, heads back to his office. Andy? We transition into Art's office a little later in the morning. Carlson's at his desk. He's looking into a handheld mirror and swiping thin wisps of hair over the top of his bald dome. He then picks up a magnifying glass. He starts out using it to look at an old yearbook on his desk, but he ends up using it to check the bags under his eyes. <laughs> Jennifer enters his office carrying the item he'd asked her to have dry cleaned earlier. It appears to be a sweater. Here we go. One hour service in 55 minutes. Carlson thanks her. Jennifer carries the sweater over to him. Well, aren't you going to try it on? Uh, Art tells her he doesn't know. I'm having second thoughts about this whole reunion thing. Jennifer drapes the sweater on the back of Mr. Carlson's chair. Oh, Mr. Carlson, you're acting silly again. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to try and stop that. Uh. <laughs> Jennifer picks up the yearbook from Mr. Carlson's desk and has a look. She asks Mr. Carlson if he's in either of these pictures. Mr. Carlson tells her he's in both of them. He points at one of the pictures. Uh, that one of the homecoming float? That, that's me in the mascot costume. Yeah, I made that sucker myself. <laughs> oh, a giant gopher. <laughs> no, that, that's a cardinal. It's a bird. Can't you see it? Look, look for the beak there. We'd like to pause here to point something out in the big guy's office. If you look in Carlson's bookshelves, you'll see a pennant for Otterbein University pinned up behind some trophies. It looks like it's been there for a long time, but it's actually pretty new. It's not there in Jennifer and the Will. We first noticed it in Love Exciting and New, then again in The Consultant. Otterbein is a private Methodist university located in Westerville, Ohio, just north of Columbus. It's about a two-hour drive from Cincinnati. Established in 1847, Otterbein offers 74 majors, 44 minors, and 8 graduate degrees. Their colors are tan and cardinal red. Their mascot is Cardi the Cardinal. Noted alumni from Otterbein include Jack Hanna of the Columbus Zoo, actor David Graff, who played Tackleberry in the Police Academy movies, and, oh yeah, another noted alumni from Otterbein is... Gordon Jump, class of 1955. He would go on to portray Arthur Carlson in WKRP in Cincinnati, who also seems to have gone to Otterbein. Although they never name Art's alma mater in this episode, Arthur Carlson is also listed as a notable alumnus on Otterbein's Wikipedia page. We like Otterbein. 
they get it. Carlson points to a picture on the next yearbook page. He starts to say something, but Jennifer stops him. No, 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 no. Let me find you. (laughs) Oh, you're this tall, good-looking fellow with his arm around Carmen. No, that's Hank Krimsky. (laughs) Hank the hunk, they called him. He was the only Omega that was, you know, ever a big deal. Consider this. How big a deal could the biggest deal from the Omegas really be? Also, after we meet Hank, (laughs) remember tall. What happened? (laughs) Jennifer tells Art he was the giant bird. Cardinal. (laughs) That could never compare to the, the hunk. Oh, boy, it's going to be three days of his bragging about his meatpacking business and calling me Moose. Moose. (laughs) Looking at the yearbook, Jennifer comments on how Carmen still looks the same. Mr. Carlson tells Jennifer Carmen is sentimental about their college days. He and Carmen met on campus. Means an awful lot to her. Well, doesn't it mean a lot to you? Mr. Carlson is taking the sweater off the hanger. Oh, sure. I mean, heck, she invited me out, not to hunt. Mr. Carlson begins putting his arms through the sweater arms as Jennifer is talking to him. Well, just you remember, Mr. Carlson, you are not going back as a struggling undergraduate named Moose. You are going back as Arthur Carlson, brand new father, and general manager of the 10th rank station in the 24th largest market in the United States of America. Oops, since he has slipped, we just looked it up during the consultant. These days, Cincinnati is the 30th ranked market in the U.S. Mr. Carlson is hilariously struggling to get the sweater on. Jennifer helps him by pulling it over his head and on down over his belly. Jennifer stands back to have a look at Art. See? There, that fits just perfectly. Jennifer tells Carlson to forget about that hunk fellow. He needs to take Carmen out to a nice romantic hideaway somewhere near campus. Art gets a faraway look in his eyes. The Eat and Sleep Motel. I don't know how romantic that sounds. Yeah. Eat and sleep. Miss Carlson opens up about the sorority dance to Jennifer. Carmen invited me to this sorority dance, but we we never showed up. We uh, we went to this other. I wonder if that place is still in business. The varsity sweater Jennifer had laundered is cardinal red with a tan O on the front. The word varsity is along the bottom of the O. They never explain the sweater. This could either be an Otterbein Letterman sweater, or we could be looking at a big O for Omegas. It's probably Otterbein. Most Greek groups use the original Greek letter on their shirts and sweaters. An Omega looks like a stylized horseshoe. It's an O open at the bottom with feet sticking out to either side. Whatever it is, Carlson got a pretty good laugh out of his struggles while putting this sweater on. And I was surprised that it actually fit, because when Jennifer was pulling it down, I thought it wasn't going to go all the way over his belly. It's snug, but it does fit. Yeah. There's a knock on the door. Andy walks into Carlson's office. He asks Art if he can have a word about Bailey. Carlson thanks Jennifer for her help. Jennifer begins to leave, then turns and winks Mr. Carlson. The eat and sleep. Jennifer clicks her tongue as she leaves. Andy has picked up the yearbook. Using the magnifying glass, he's looking at one of the pictures. He chuckles and holds the book over to Carlson. Hey, is this you standing next to the chubby kid? Mm, whoops. <laughs> Carlson glares at Andy. He takes the yearbook, closes it, and puts it on his desk without saying a word. Andy points at the door. I'll come back. Andy quickly leaves the office. The eat and sleep. In the studio, Les is on the mic doing his commentary. He still sounds pretty clogged up and he looks miserable. 
His nose is possibly even redder than it was in the lobby. German measles, Russian flu, Montezuma's revenge. <laughs> and why do we say a foreign word whenever someone sneezes? And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye NewsHawk Award winner, Les Nesman. This is the Les Nesman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nesman. Right hand, pinky finger. This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb award-winning journalist Les Nesman. Les seems to be all worked up over the word gesundheit. It's really not that big a deal. Sneezing has always been a concern in society. Back before we were quite so well-versed in health matters, we knew a sneeze almost certainly meant illness. Illness, before modern medicine, often resulted in death. Some folks even believed the heart stopped or the soul escaped the body during a sneeze. Both of those have been proven to be false. It's common in nearly all societies to wish someone either good luck or good health after a sneeze. Gesundheit is simply the German word for health. Gesund is the adjective health. Adding height makes it a noun. Gesundheit came to the U.S. during the German immigration of the 19th and 20th centuries. Gesundheit and all things German fell out of favor during World War II. It came back into usage by the 1960s, but we claimed it as English by then. Gesundheit is still commonly used in the Midwest. It's even considered by some to be classy or highbrow. Areas that don't use Gesundheit normally go with bless you or God bless you. The wish for good health, or at least hoping you don't die, is still the same. Yes, Gesundheit. It's classy, you know. It's classy. Yeah. We cut to the bullpen where Andy is standing under the wall monitor listening to the end of Les's report. Tomorrow, I'll take a look at swine flu, up close and personal. This is Les Nesbitt. <laughs> Les ends his report coughing. Andy reaches up and turns off the volume on the monitor. Wow, Les certainly went whipping through the flu strains in his report. He mentioned a couple of biggies. Swine flu, although not a huge issue in 1981, would be the basis for the 2009 swine flu pandemic. That's right. There was a pandemic in 2009 to 2010 involving a new strain of the H1N1 swine flu. It was estimated to have infected nearly 20% of the global population, up to 1.4 billion people. Although it infected more people than the 1918 Spanish flu, you may not remember this global pandemic because deaths were low, about as low as the standard seasonal flu. Although it's rarely reported, the regular old seasonal flu accounts for about 250,000 deaths each year in the United States. The H1N1 flu strain has been an ongoing problem for modern society. The H1N1 strain was the cause of the Spanish flu pandemic in 1918, and it was also the basis for the 1977 Russian flu, which, of course, just because of the name, was a Les Nesman concern. Russian flu. Bailey is at her desk. She asks Andy if he has a minute. He's still shaking his head at Les. No, not right now, Bailey. Right now I'm waiting for the news beacon of the Ohio Valley so I can severely chat with him. <laughs> Get a shot of Herb at his desk. He's looking in his extendable mirror, slapping cologne on his face. I like severely chat. <laughs> Better way, Andy. I know, Herb. 
Sooner or later, his body would bob to the surface and they'd find my belt around his neck. Andy's violent imagery keeps getting worse. Could there be another reason Andy has to keep moving from town to town? (laughs) Hey, did you get a look at Herb? It's time! Herb Darling, fashion alert. Herb is wearing a jacket we've seen before. As with several of Herb's jackets, this one is always worth mentioning. It's plaid with shades of green, yellow, and blue. He's also wearing a white dress shirt with light blue vertical lines. His tie is shades of maroon with red and white diagonal stripes. He completes the outfit with maroon polyester pants and his white belt. Bailey starts to show something to Andy, but she's interrupted by Herb. Herb tells Bailey just a minute. He gets up and walks over to Andy. Andrew, I'm going to let you in on a little sales technique that is not only guaranteed, but will give you total control over anybody. He begins. Now, if you wait a minute. Andy interrupts him. Can Bailey hear this? Herb looks at Bailey. She returns his look with a squinty-eyed stare. I guess so. Andy says, okay, slaps Herb on his arm and assumes a serious-looking listening position. Herb, a bottle of cologne still in his right hand, begins. Now, if you have someone who won't buy, then you act like you won't sell. Andy, mouth hanging open, is staring at Herb, which brings us to... The line of the episode. Reverse psychiatry. (laughs) Herb is nodding his head knowingly at Andy. Herb's close. He's going for reverse psychology. Reverse psychology is the idea you can get someone to do something if you tell them you don't want them to do that very thing. The pop culture joke based on reverse psychology is a large red button with a sign over it saying, do not press. People who would normally have ignored the button will now have an uncontrollable urge to press it. Reverse psychology is nothing new, although it regularly gets presented on sitcoms like it was discovered last Tuesday. William Sweet Billy Shakespeare whips out some reverse psychology in Julius Caesar. Mark Anthony gets the townspeople to riot by telling them how much they shouldn't riot. Examples of reverse psychology can be found throughout modern cinema, literature, and TV. Wikipedia lists one of the most famous examples of reverse psychology in pop culture as this gag from the Looney Tunes. We're not sure if it's really reverse psychology, but it's still pretty funny. Isn't it rabbit hunting season? It's not. No, it's duck hunting season. That, sir, is an investigation fabrication. It's rabbit season. Duck season. Rabbit season. Duck season. Rabbit season. Duck season. Rabbit season. Rabbit season. Duck season. Rabbit season. I say it's duck season, and I say fire. Daffy immediately and unthinkingly selects the opposite just so he can go against bugs. A better example would probably be Tom Sawyer and his approach to getting a fence painted. Psychotherapists regularly use techniques based on reverse psychology, such as the paradoxical intervention and the anti-suggestion of prescribing the symptom. Les enters the bullpen from the studio hallway door. Herb looks at Andy. Watch this. Herb follows Les into his office. Les, Les, Andy heard your commentary this morning. I'm not going to apologize. Apologize? Ah, 
He thought you were brilliant. He was dumbfounded by your professionalism. Les leans out his office door and around Herb. Thank you, Andy. He looks at Les. You jerk. Perhaps the application of reverse psychiatry should be left to the professionals. Herb goes back to his mirror, studying his reflection. Andy tells Herb not to worry about it. Listen, so it didn't work. You were still the best salesman this town has ever seen. Herb looks at Andy for a long time. You can see the wheels turning. What do you mean by that? Herb looks Andy in the eyes. Excuse me. I've got sales calls. Herb goes to the coat rack, grabs his coat, and leaves. Hey, maybe this reverse psychiatry thing really works. <laughs> Bailey is sitting at her desk. She tells Andy she's sorry for being a little gruff earlier. Uh, listen, Bailey, I haven't heard anything from Carlson except his reunion plans, but when I do, you will be the first one to hear about it, all right? Andy turns to Les as Bailey sits at her desk looking a bit shocked. He was kind of short with her there. Les, you know what Herb said that I said about your commentary? Yes, Andy. He was lying. I know. <laughs> when someone plays mind games with Les Desmond, they're walking on thin ice. We move into the lobby. Bailey is now sitting at Jennifer's desk working. We hear the grandfather clock chiming the noon hour. Jennifer walks in through the door from the bullpen area, followed by Herb. I want you to know I am happy you turned me down. Jennifer hangs her purse on Herb's arm, then hands him her fur coat and turns around so he can put it around her shoulders. Herb continues talking while doing all of this. I mean, I don't want to have lunch with you. In fact, the thought of having lunch with you is depressing. Same here. <laughs> Jennifer takes her purse from Herb and walks out the main doors. Herb glances over at Bailey. Bailey just smiles at him. Herb hangs his head and walks out of the lobby. A quick tip for Herb about reverse psychology. It might save him some embarrassment. Reverse psychology only works when both options are acceptable to the subject. Just like with hypnotic suggestions, if the option is something you'd never do, suggesting it won't work. If your subject finds the option immoral, revolting, or truly dumb, as Jennifer does, all the reverse psychology in the world won't change the subject's mind. As Jennifer is standing by the grandfather clock, we get a glimpse of another of Jennifer's lobby makeover details. In the foyer, just through the main door, we can see three large framed photos of the on-air staff. Displaying headshots of the air staff was almost a station requirement at this time. Stations all over the country were doing it. Jocks, news, weather, traffic, everybody got a headshot for the lobby. Johnny is closest and most visible through the door. Venus has a headshot at the other end of the line. It would make sense if the middle image was of Rex Earhart, the midday man, but it doesn't look like it is. Les Nesman seems to be the middle image. We're surprised Les would allow news to be on the same wall as DJs. Under the three photos is another large gold station logo, like the one over the coffee pot. Mr. Carlson's office door opens and Carlson walks out. He looks at Bailey. It's 12 noon, Bailey. <laughs> You're right. Carmen's not here yet? Uh-uh. Mr. Carlson starts to go back into his office when Bailey stops him. Oh, Mr. Carlson, has Andy talked to you? About what? Well, about the backlog of bills on my desk and a way to solve that problem? No. Bailey tells Mr. Carlson maybe Andy just hasn't had a chance yet. Gee, I've been in my office all morning just hanging it out. 
<laughs> Maybe Carlson should stick to phrases he knows. Bailey hides her disappointment about Andy. He just can't seem to get He's hanging, hanging it out. out. Hanging out. Carmen comes running into the lobby from the main entrance. She puts her purse on Jennifer's desk and apologizes to Art for being late. But I wanted to be sure the baby was all right before I left, and then the phone... Carlson tells Carmen if the baby's upset, maybe they shouldn't go. He's really having second thoughts. Well, there's really no reason to spoil your fun, Arthur. Art tells Carmen to let him get his coat so they can go. He hurries into his office. Bailey says hello to Mrs. Carlson and tells her the reunion sounds like a lot of fun. I know Arthur's very sentimental about his college days. I don't really care. These two are just a living O. Henry story, aren't they? (laughs) Mr. Carlson comes skipping out of his office. He's wearing his jacket and hat. He leans over the desk, excited. He tells Carmen he has a surprise for her. You know that little motel when we were in college? Arthur! Mr. Carlson stands up, straightens his hat, and looks at Bailey. Well, nothing happened. Less than nothing. Carmen is looking at Mr. Carlson, giving him the be quiet look with her eyes. That was seriously the stink eye there that she gave him. Well, anyway, the Eat and Sleep Motel. You're kidding. What? You remember your friend, Hank Krimsky? The hunk. Yes. He called me. That's why I was late. Mrs. Carlson looks at Bailey and tells her with a note of pride. His meats are served in eight counties. (laughs) Mr. Carlson rolls his eyes. Anyway, he and Fluff are going to be staying at the Eat and Sleep Motel. Yes, she said Fluff. Fluff. Bailey slaps the desk. (laughs) Bailey looks at Mr. Carlson. Your turn, Mr. Carlson. The scene fades to black as we head into a commercial break. And we're going to get to meet Fluffy. His meats are served in eight counties. We come back from commercial with Bailey still sitting at Jennifer's desk. By this time, Art and Carmen are gone. Andy walks into the lobby and crosses to Art's door. It's too late, Andy. Mr. Carlson left an hour ago. Andy looks at Bailey with an apologetic look. Sorry, Bailey, I tried. Without making eye contact, Bailey responds. Did you? (laughs) Yeah, I did. a little mad. Venus comes into the lobby. Hey. How's everybody this fine afternoon? Fine, just fine. Venus asks if Mr. Carlson has left for his reunion yet. Mm Mm-hmm, an hour ago. Bailey is staring at Andy as she says this. Venus smiles. Oh, perfect. Bailey adds, After he spent the entire morning sitting in his office with nothing to do. Bailey looks at Andy as she finishes the statement. Andy's eyes are wide. Looking at Bailey, he asks, Did he tell you that? Les comes into the lobby. He has on his coat, scarf, and hat, and is carrying his briefcase. I'm going home. I don't feel too well. Andy tells Les, Fine. Fine. Bailey is giving Andy a very harsh look. Hey, What's my Tupperware doing out here? (laughs) Venus picks up his almost empty Tupperware container (laughs) and looks at them all. Honest to God, Venus, I I really don't know. Venus is staring at the near-empty container. And who ate all my crab puffs? I'm going to need them for tonight. Uh, Be Johnny, and he's sick somewhere, I think. (laughs) Bailey tells Venus she doesn't know. Holding the container up a bit, Venus looks into it. At least there are a few left. (laughs) (laughs) sneezes right into the open remaining crab puffs. Les wipes his nose as they all look at him, and Venus needs a plan B for tonight's snacks. What's my Tupperware doing out here? We see an outside shot of a roadside motel. This is a classy joint. It says air-conditioned, free television, and 
Kitchen Apartments on the sign. There's a full-length phone booth right under the sign indicating there probably aren't phones in the rooms. We were curious if this might have been one of videographer Bob Girding's Cincinnati exteriors. We fired a quick text off to Bob. Nope. He said he did not shoot this one. So this must be a motel somewhere around L.A. As we cut to the interior, we can see a restaurant just left of the entrance. The door to the lobby of the motel opens, setting off a buzzer. Just a minute. Carmen and Mr. Carlson walk in. Arthur, it's exactly the same. Yeah, boy, it's like 1956 in here. Art puts his hands on his hips and begins talking as if it was the night of their first date. Oh, heck, uh, I didn't want to go to that sorority dance anyway. Carmen isn't getting it. What? Remember? (laughs) The night? Oh, now she's on board with Arthur's little recreation. Do you usually bring coeds here, Arthur? Well, it's just, you know, for a hamburger. Of course, if you want me to walk you back to the dorm, it's all right. Carlson opens the door as if they were leaving, causing the buzzer to sound again. Mr. Carlson quickly shuts the door. He yells to the back. Sorry, if it's okay, I just... Keep your pants on! Carmen laughs and covers her mouth and then looks at Mr. Carlson. I love a hamburger. Mr. Carlson gets a thoughtful look on his face. He takes Carmen by her upper arms and looks her in the eyes. You know, Carmen, honey, the best thing that ever happened to me up at this college was the night that you invited me to that sorority dance, and we came here instead. Carmen smiles at him. Oh, you were quite a hunk. Carmen leans in for a kiss just as the lobby entrance door opens. Did someone mention my name? An extremely loud, obnoxious little man bursts into the lobby. This man yells and wraps his arms around Art, picking him up. Carlson's feet are pedaling in the air. (laughs) This must be Hank. Hank sets Carlson down. There's a woman jumping up and down next to Hank. Could it be? Say hello to the moose, Fluffy. It's Fluffy. She moves her hands in a circular motion as she says hello. Hank Krimsky is being played by Claude Earl Jones. Claude was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1933. He got his start on the Craft Suspense Theater in 1963. He played the role of Officer Six. He only had one other appearance in the 60s. Claude's career really got going in 1975 with an episode of Kojak. Claude worked a lot from the mid-70s through the mid-90s. He racked up 68 total IMDb credits on his profile. Claude only had one recurring character in his career. He was Stan Fluger for seven episodes of the 1983 Dabney Coleman vehicle, Buffalo Bill. Claude did have five total appearances on Dallas, playing three different characters over the course of 11 years. He had a one-episode guest role in 1979. Then he played Wally Hampton for two episodes in 1982. Eight years later, in 1990, Claude would return to do two more Dallas episodes as the character Duke Carlisle. Claude retired from acting in 1997. He passed away in November of 2019 at the age of 86. Hey, Fluffy Kremsky is being played by Joy Clausen. Joy was born in Chicago in 1938. She has a total of 29 acting credits on her IMDb profile. 
Joy had a couple of soap appearances in the mid-60s. She didn't get going on primetime TV until 1974 with a guest shot on a series called Heck Ramsey. Joy worked in fits and starts throughout the 80s and 90s. She does have one later credit. After 13 years of not doing anything worthy of an IMDb listing, Joy showed up with a starring role in the 2007 movie For Pete's Wake. Joy passed away in October of 2021 at the age of 83. An older woman has come out to the reception desk. She's been observing the noisy action. She turns both of her hands with the pointer finger up in a circular motion. Whee! A pep rally and I forgot my beanie. <laughs> they don't say her name, but she's listed in the credits as Mrs. Hutchinson. Mr. Carlson approaches the desk, telling the woman he called in earlier today for reservations. Hank steps up to the desk. I called yesterday. Carmen goes over to stand by Fluffy. He did, too. He's very good on the phone. (coughs) Sign here. The woman behind the desk shows them where to sign. Leaning on the counter, she removes her glasses, then goes through her spiel about the rules. Checkout time is 12 o'clock. No drinking, no eating, no smoking, no loud parties, no loud television. We count the towels, 20 bucks in front, enjoy. (laughs) She's a joy. Our innkeeper, Mrs. Hutchinson, is being played by Alice Nunn. This is Alice's second credit on WKRP, but only the first time you've gotten to see her face. Alice played Leslie's unseen but well-credited neighbor and tenant. We first heard Alice in the episode Les's groupie. Mr. Lesman, I warned you about the noise. <laughs> if you hear us refer to Alice's large Marge, it's because of her most famous role. She was the ghost trucker Large Marge who gave Paul Rubens a ride in the 1985 film Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Have a nice day. <laughs> Be sure and tell them Large Marge sent you. <laughs> Although she had more than 50 appearances over 31 years, Alice would always be known for her turn as Large Marge. Alice died in 1988 in her West Hollywood apartment. She'd had a heart attack at only 60 years old. And you mentioned her being old coming in for this scene. She's 54. Yeah, and I thought she looked older. She does. She looks the, quite a bit older. And I don't think it's due to makeup. I. It's Alice. It's just her, yeah. <laughs> Hank and Mr. Carlson pull out $20 each from their billfolds and hand them over to the woman. Oh, could you hurry it up, Hank? You know my calves. Oh, poor Fluffy and her calves. <laughs> Fluffy looks at Carmen and begins to explain. My calves always hurt. Do yours. Carmen looks down at Fluffy's legs and she shakes her head no. Hank puts his arm around Mr. Carlson's shoulders and tells him they've got a couple of hours before the old wingding. I sure could use me a brumus. Great, Hank, I'll buy. No, 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 no. I buy. Oh, Hanky, I'm going to be a big poo-poo, but I've just got to put up my legs. I've had more than enough of Hank already. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You need him in very small doses. Hank asked Carmen if she'd like to go up and put her legs up, too. I'm not sure where they're going up. This looks like a motel that's all on one level. Yeah, no no upstairs. Oh, heck no. She's got great legs. Show him your legs, honey. What a weird thing to brag about. Carmen tells Mr. Carlson, it's okay. She'll meet him in the room. Kiss, kiss, Hanky. 
<laughs> Hank and Fluffy air kiss each other. Fluffy turns to leave. Hank gives her a big slap on the rear as she goes. Here's hoping Joy got a bonus or something for the slap. It sure looked painful. Carmen tells Art not to be too long. She heads out the door after Fluffy. Hank puts his arm around Mr. Carlson's shoulders again. Yeah, I, I tell you, that Carmen is really USDA choice still. What? <laughs> and old Fluffy can still shake those pom-poms. Mr. Carlson can't get a word in. Hank's meatpacker references are a little gross. <laughs> Hank pushes Carlson into the restaurant and they sit at the counter. Hank slaps his hands on the counter. Start him pouring. The woman who checked them in comes over. I only serve 3.2 beer. She sets a bottle in front of Hank and a bottle in front of Carlson. You want to see our IDs? <laughs> all the gin joints and all the oil you had to walk into mine. If there's any movie as popular for quotes with the WKRP writers as Gone with the Wind, it would have to be Casablanca. Large Marge is doing a famous Casablanca line here. Anybody with a halfway decent bogey impression knows this speech. The love of Rick's life, Ilsa, who he thought he'd lost in Paris before the war, has amazingly come waltzing into his club in Casablanca, Morocco. Rick just can't seem to get over the odds. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. Released in November of 1942, Casablanca was nominated for eight Academy Awards, including Best Picture. It won three, but not Best Picture. Casablanca lost out to a Noel Coward war picture called In Which We Serve for the 1942 Best Picture Honors. Since its release, Casablanca has become one of the most popular American films ever made. It regularly battles with Citizen Kane and The Godfather for the number one spot on best movie lists. Hutchinson mentions only serving 3.2 beer. This is a relic of the Depression and Prohibition. When Franklin Roosevelt won the presidency in 1932, one of the things he campaigned on was the repeal of Prohibition. Now, since Prohibition was an amendment, getting rid of it would take some time. FDR wanted people drinking now. Within two months of his inauguration, he'd signed an act into law that allowed the sale of beer if it contained no more than 3.2% alcohol by weight. The era of 3-2 beer was on. The 3.2% designation by weight, not volume, was somewhat arbitrary. It was a guess as to what would get you drunk. 3-2 beer was declared non-intoxicating by a University of Chicago physiologist named Anton Carlson. No relation to art. At least, we don't think so. 3-2 <laughs> beer is not good. No one really likes drinking it, but if it's all you've got, it'll have to do. States latched on to 3-2 beer as a way to control drunkenness. Some states said grocery stores could only sell 3-2 beer. Colorado and a few others made 3-2 beer legal for 18-year-olds as a way of getting around the federal drinking age. Stronger beers were reserved for 21 and up. Although the original 3-2 law went away as soon as prohibition was repealed, the effects have held on for more than 80 years. As of 2020, the only state still with a 3-2 law on the books is Minnesota. 
Utah, Colorado, Kansas, and Oklahoma had only just dropped their 3-2 laws in 2020. Carlson uses an opener to remove the caps on the bottles. To our ladies. Drink to that. They're wonderful, Moose. (laughs) Even if the joke was on us. Art's confused. I mean, even though the joke was on us. Hank explains it was that sorority, you know, when Carmen and Fluffy were pledges. The dance. Oh, the one that Carmen asked me. Yeah, yeah well, that was our first date. Yeah, yeah. She only made the date because we were on the dip list. You know, I brought her. <laughs> huh? Hank looks at Carlson. He seems surprised Carlson is unaware of what happened. Hank tells Carlson it was the same thing with Fluffy. It was part of their initiation. Hank can't believe Art didn't know. Oh, come on. You knew that? Well, what did you think? Little Carmen was tracking the moose? (laughs) Come on! (laughs) Hank slaps Carlson on the back. Hard. The woman behind the counter starts laughing along with him and slapping her leg. (laughs) Every time I see her do that, it cracks me up. There is a sadistic glee in her laugh that just kills me. Mr. Carlson is not laughing. The screen fades. The large Marge is really laughing. Oh, yes. (laughs) We cut back into the studio where Venus is once again meeting with his accountant. The lights are low and Jackie is sitting in the DJ's chair holding a glass of wine. Venus is sitting on the counter, his forehead almost touching Jackie's. We hear a song playing in the background. Sounds like they might be getting another use out of the David Sanborn Carly's song clip. Venus offers Jackie some cheese. She says, no thanks. He holds up a small Tupperware container. A gherkin, perhaps. (laughs) So this is plan B? Jackie shakes her head. No. Any of those crap puffs left? Yeah, fever ate them all. Venus tells her sorry. No. Jackie does a pouty face. Venus puts his finger under her chin, tilting her face up for a kiss. Just as the door opens opens, Venus can't get a break. Andy comes (laughs) bounding into the studio. Andy takes in the scene. He quickly realizes what's going on. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Dang. Oh, it's okay. Andy introduces himself to Jackie. They shake hands as she stands. Andy says he didn't mean to interrupt. That's all right. This is... uh... I'm Venus's psychiatrist. What? (laughs) Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, a psychiatrist now. (laughs) Jackie seems to be smarter than many of Venus's late night guests. She came up with the cover story and now she's really running with the reference. And his hour was just up. What about my next appointment? I got a lot to work out. No. Jackie smiles at him and does a little giggle. Two nights of interruptions seems to be her limit. She shakes Venus's hand. Call the office. (laughs) Jackie walks out the door. Andy watches her go. Bye. Nice lady. She any good? This kind of startles Venus, and he looks at Andy. I could use a good psychiatrist today. Venus sits down in the DJ's chair and asks Andy why he's there. Andy tells him he's just hanging out. The whole entire day's gone for wrong for me, and I darn if I know why. Andy spots the pickles. Yeah, hey, are those gherkins? Andy takes a pickle. Andy has Venus. What's up with him? Nothing. Cheese. Venus hands the cheese container over to Andy, who (laughs) happily takes it. Too bad Andy is not Venus's date. Too bad there's not some wine hidden around here. 
This gives Andy a look out of the corner of his eye. Andy smiles at him. Call the office. We transition to the motel restaurant where Mr. Carlson is sitting alone drinking a beer. Frank Sinatra is singing I've Got You Under My Skin over the jukebox. Mr. Carlson is sitting with his head resting on one hand when Carmen enters the restaurant. She is dressed for a fancy event, a black skirt, white lace blouse with a black belt around her waist, a pearl necklace, and she's carrying a black purse. She sees Mr. Carlson and moves next to him, putting her hand on his shoulder. Are you okay? I got worried. Mr. Carlson apologizes for worrying her. Carmen tells him it's all right. It was silly for her to worry. You don't have much time to get dressed. The song on the jukebox is I've Got You Under My Skin. The pedigree on this one could not be any better. Written by Cole Porter, performed by Frank Sinatra. The tune was originally part of a movie soundtrack, 1936's Born to Dance. Virginia Bruce did the movie version. It was nominated for Best Original Song at the Oscars, but it lost out to... The Way You Look Tonight. Sinatra first performed Under My Skin in 1946 on his weekly radio show. He recorded his first studio version of the song in 1956 with Nelson Riddle's orchestra. But each time that I do, just the thought of you makes me stop before I begin. Because I've got you under my skin. Although Under My Skin is a signature for Sinatra, he never had a charted hit with it. The Four Seasons would score a top ten hit with their take on the track in Carlson turns and looks at his wife. Would you be terribly disappointed if we just went straight home? Carmen is a bit surprised. Tonight? Skip the reunion. What's wrong? Mr. Carlson stands up and turns to face Carmen. Carmen, why did you invite me to that sorority dance? Oh, Arthur, that was 25. Oh, dear. You know, I, I know that I wasn't, you know, very popular, a dipless? Carmen bangs her fist on the counter. <laughs> Who told you that? I'd always kind of thought maybe you spotted me in that mascot's outfit. I did! No one will ever forget your homemade cardinal suit. <laughs> Arthur, it wasn't you. All the Omegas were on the dipless. <laughs> Carmen closes her mouth, making her lips tight. Why? It's true. But, Arthur, we didn't go to that dance. Well, yeah, but... We came here. Shh. Arthur, you know we just came here for a hamburger. Well, yeah. But uh, somehow the word spread that something more happened. Oh? Someone suggested a lot more. Who'd do that? Carlson's eyes are darting back and forth. I didn't mind. I kind of liked it. You did? 
We've had more than 25 years together. I'm happy about the way things worked out, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, I somehow always thought, Carmen, that you pursued me. I mean, everybody else on campus, I was moved. But to you... <laughs> to you, I was always... Arthur. Arthur. We didn't go to that dance. And I didn't join that sorority because... Because you I... felt sorry. No! Because... To get in, I had to show up with a loser, a dip, a clown. Thanks, Carmen. And one minute after you picked me up, I knew you were none of those things. You were for me. Oh. I'm sorry I raised my voice. Are we going to miss that dance again? Carlson reaches into his pants pocket and pulls out a quarter. Carmen smiles and starts to tell him to play something, but Art shushes her. He walks over to the jukebox, inserts the quarter, and picks a song. He doesn't reference the song titles. It seems like he's recalling a favorite number. He turns to Carmen and opens his arms. Oh, Arthur. Carmen puts her hand in his and the other arm around his neck. Just as he puts his hand on the small of her back, the music starts. This is a Shout Factory replacement. Had you been listening back in January of 1982, you'd have heard the Rolling Stones go into I Can't Get No Satisfaction. It sounded like this. Huh? Oh, oh Arthur. <laughs> Unfortunately, but not surprisingly, Shout Factory was unable to license the stones. Instead, we get this generic bit of filler in place of the Glimmer Twins. Huh? Oh, oh Arthur. <laughs> Considering how much trouble Shout Factory seems to have had licensing Rolling Stones hits, this substitution isn't surprising. Not only was 1965's Satisfaction a number one hit for the Stones, it was their first number one, and it's tied with Honky Tonk Women as their biggest number one, spending four weeks on top. Satisfaction is also considered one of the biggest, most recognizable hits ever recorded. Hugh Wilson was lucky to have been able to include it in the network airing. As some piece of music begins, both Art <laughs> and Carmen look at the jukebox surprised. They must have changed what was in that slot sometime in the last 25 years. Carlson takes Carmen's hands and puts them around his neck. He wraps his arms around her waist. They begin dancing to the beat of satisfaction or whatever it is they've got going on the Shout Factory disc. As the Carlsons dance... The scene fades to black. And that much like them dancing at the end of Patter of Little, Little Feet. Feet. Yeah, yeah. It also was, uh, with a replaced clip. Mm -hmm. So that is going to do it for You Can't Go Out of Town Again. What is up for next week, Donna? We will be talking about Jennifer and Johnny's charity. A fire at the Vine Street Mission destroys the kitchen. 
Johnny starts a donation fund. He asks Jennifer to get her wealthy friends to contribute. She throws a party and all goes well until the homeless arrive to show their gratitude. And this is one of those episodes that is out of order according to the Shout Factory discs, but we are taking them in air order according to the research of Michael Hernandez, the accountant of rock. That's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. If you'd like to watch along with us, make sure to check our show notes. Find us on social media. You can follow our Facebook page at WKRP cast. For more WKRP fun, become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash WKRPcast for behind-the-scenes fun, full interviews, and more. Got a question, comment, or correction? Let us know about it. Write us, WKRPcast at gmail.com. And remember to please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye now. May the good news be yours. WKRP cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders. Almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger! <laughs> <laughs>